Welcome to the High Performance CEO Podcast. This show is made with one purpose, to help you create a self-driven and engaged high-performance organization, where we deliver you proven strategies and expert interviews on how to drive significant profit growth, create a stress-free ownership culture, and give you the time freedom you always wanted from your business. And now, here's your host, highly sought-after business growth strategist and executive coach, Patrick Rogers. This is Patrick Rogers, and today we have the privilege to have Bob Kroon on the show. And Bob is the CEO and founder of August Barris. Welcome to the show, Bob. Uh, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Glad to have you. So a little bit about Bob. He has a 50-year history in durable goods, primarily in the furniture industry. Began as a co-op engineer with Maytag. His furniture background began in manufacturing engineering with the Han Company in 1979, four years after I was born. Uh <laughs> <laughs> in the next 18 years, he served in assignments in product engineering and general management. Subsequent experience includes contract, electronics, manufacturing, high-end residential furniture, hospitality furniture. Again, he's currently the CEO and founder of August Berries, a startup that is revolutionizing commercial interiors and cordless power. The company is using battery technology to power workplaces, eliminating the need for 120 volt power and cord tangles on the floor. So Bob, again, great to have you on the show. Uh, you know, we before we dive into your company and your journey and all that, what's one interesting fact that not many people know about you? Uh, well, maybe they figure this out. I, I play Santa Claus every year. <laughs> <laughs> well, some people are all, can only listen. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I grow the beard starting about Labor Day and then uh, end up at, at Christmas Eve uh, doing Christmas Eve services. Awesome. Well, that's so cool. Yeah, that's so cool. I bet it's rewarding as all get out. Oh, the kids are hilarious. Yeah. Yeah, very cool. Awesome. So so tell us about your company what, and what you guys are doing. Well, uh, uh, Cord Tangles, uh, uh, you know, have been around for like 40 years. When Once the PC was invented, uh, it, it, uh, people started having more devices and more devices. And mm -hmm. pretty soon they ran out of outlets and there were extension cords and power strips. And if you look under almost anyone's desk these days, there's this tangle of cords. And of course, with the pandemic, uh, that's not good. <laughs> you know, how do you clean yeah. there? The cleaning crews and buildings don't want to touch it. Yeah, totally. So... so uh, the, the value proposition for what we're doing, it's, it's universal. Everybody hates the cords and wires. So uh, with battery technology, uh, we can get rid of them. Now, there's some other things that have contributed to this. Uh, one is the adoption of USB-C. It's kind of a standard for uh, powering things. Every laptop since 2019 uh, it, uh, can be powered with USB-C mm. and many other devices now as well. So right. that gives us the opportunity to use low voltage connections and, okay. and much safer. Okay. Um, so uh, net of it all is with the technology we're using, we can end up with no cords on the floor for, I'm going to tell you, 95% of users. There's, of course, some who have big, huge monitors or gaming systems or whatever. They're, they're kind of out of bounds. But for most people, no, don't need it at all. So yeah. That, then there are secondary benefits. We don't, uh, 
if you don't if you don't have to have power 120 volt power uh -huh. then you can restore a historical building right and and not oh, have yeah. to do structural changes oh, or a okay. building that was built in the 80 maybe the 80s early 90s or back in the 70s that it's kind of fallen out, out of, into disrepair or whatever or needs technological upgrades we don't have to worry about uh, structural changes mm. so yeah, it, it's, and that's a big deal because it's really expensive, especially if it's a historic building to do any kind of electrical upgrades and and, and like that. It's extremely expensive, right? And 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 think on a college campus now that might be the least attractive place to go because there's no technology, right? But if we can use cordless power, think how there could be some really cool offices, you know? <laughs> that <laughs> yeah, go from the worst to the best. Gotcha, gotcha. So then what do they do? So they have these uh, these power supplies or what, what um, and do they just charge them like in a certain area and then take them out to the to the office area? Or how does that work? Do you pull the battery out of it and charge well, it in we a have special a, place? A, a portable battery system. Think of it as maybe 15 inches long, three inches high, two inches wide. And, it, it, and it's got a little carry handle and and it has the USB connections in it. You you By itself, it's a product. You can take it to Starbucks or any coffee shop and work all day or the library or the cafeteria or whatever and and work on your laptop without running out of power or what we've done is created ways that you can go into docking stations and we have our own line of furniture that got it it's yeah. capable okay, the cool. power sit stands and cordless uh, phone charging and uh, dual monitors um, or then we've also created kits for people to to retrofit their existing furniture. It, you know, lots of organizations, they kind of hesitate to change their layouts when they should, when, because it's gonna cost them a lot of money to run the power, um, you, you know, because every workstation these days and almost any business has a computer. And how do you get power there? Well, it's under carpet wiring and carpet tiles, or power drops from the ceiling, all those things are expensive. And then there's a shortage of electricians and the labor is, is expensive as well. And so once you do it, then you kind of want to stick with it. But let's say you 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 don't know what, where your business is headed. And I don't think anybody knows what their business is going to look like two years or three years from now, right? Do they need to move to a bigger building or should they let their lease expire and move down, move down or, or move across town? Or it, it, Once you invest in the electrical upgrades and, right. and you make a change, you leave that all behind. With battery power, you take all your investment with you. Got it. Yeah, well, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, because you're doing a tenant improvement or wherever, whatever that location is, or if it's something that you're owning, yeah, well, you're well, investing it, in the location. You're right in that. It also it's it's good for tenants and good for landlords because now they can negotiate shorter lease terms because there's not the tenant improvement costs are are lower. Oftentimes, right. the reason for a longer term is to amortize the cost of the ten, tenant improvements. Uh, so, uh, I have one client who. Uh, he purposely looks for older real estate because he knows he can get it much lower cost and 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 not have to do any any improvements to it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, very cool. Very cool. Awesome. So, um, you know, one of the things that we talk about, obviously, on this show is is to try to pull out the uh, 
the tangible nuggets uh, of each CEO that we bring on the show that, you know, what, what's been your secrets to success? And I know you said that one of them for you was, was really just, just, well, two things. One was strategizer. Uh, you have, you have a pretty good method for your strategy, but also exit planning starting day one. Uh, tell me more about those. Okay. Well, um, uh, a few years ago, I, I did a lot of coaching with startups and everything. And I, I, I discovered um, uh, a, a book written by Alex Osterwalder uh, uh, and his, his firm is, is Strategizer and his business model generation. And, and it, it really resonated with me. And what he talks about, the old way of, of writing a business plan was to create, you know, sometimes there's a hierarchy of strategies and tactics and you, you put a big old plan together. And I've been part of that in the past, right? And, and this goes up uh, on the shelf and it, it, it's only worthwhile if it gets implemented. But oftentimes the, what's said in the book never gets implemented because something about the plan didn't work mm. out. So, at, uh, Osterwalder's methodology at this much more fluid. You, you, you know, your job as a CEO is if your business plan isn't working, pivot. It's time to do something different. Mm. You, you don't, you don't execute a plan because you said you were going to execute a plan. So, you, you know, a lot of startups. There, there are some common mistakes. They, they, uh, they think that what they do is their value proposition. And that's not true. The value proposition is what they do that is better than their competition. There's uh, uh, other things where they think they have they uh, have a piece of software or a device or something, right? A product, and then they're asking themselves, "Well, where should I sell this?" And and sometimes they overspend and fully develop a product not knowing who's going to buy it and by the time they end up finally talking to customers they learn that that well that what the, that wasn't a big issue with the customer they don't care and so part part of this is to there's nine elements to to strategizer it, it's to bring them all along together it's not a checklist it's it's a, there's elements of a business model Got it. Love it. And I think you had said too, that, that, uh, the value proposition was one of the most important things in that, in that business model. Yes. He wrote a second, uh, book two years after the first one called, uh, uh, Oh, I forget the name. Um, but it had to do with value proposition design. That was the name of it. And, and I can tell from coaching startups, right. That most of them didn't understand value proposition. And, uh, and and so it's real important to to go through that and and have have the entrepreneurs tell us what what uh, what it is they're going to do different. What how compelling is it that what you're doing? And then you also have to consider switching costs. If if the existing world has a huge expense to switch to your product, right? Maybe even you might even have a, a good value proposition, but if the switching cost is high, they're not going to respond to it. Uh, so it, um, it, it's really good stuff to think about. And, and it, it, 
uh, it was fun to, to, to coach folks on it. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So you, you'd done some coaching for um, a few companies on the side, helping them get all that yes. implemented. Yes. Yeah, very cool. Um, but I'd like to transition and talk about the exit planning starting from, from day one to tell us more about that. Well, um, a, a lot of folks don't think about that, but uh, in the, uh, I'll use my own current company as an example. Uh, uh, the day it was founded, I, I made it a, a Delaware C Corp because a, a buyer buyers like that. <laughs> and, and sometimes you can get an asset sale. Sometimes it's a stock sale. Stock sales are harder to get. But if you if, if you think you want, want to do a stock sale, being a C Corp is, is a good idea. So I did that. Uh, second thing is to, uh, uh, how do I want to say this? I uh, uh, made sure that there are no agreements or contracts or, or that I make that can't be assigned. Um, but I've seen in the past where the, some third party in a, in a sale of a business steps in and has some absurd demand that they want. Uh, once upon a time, it uh, wasn't my doing, it was, I inherited this, but we had a, uh, uh, a software contract and the software company insisted that they needed $75,000 to assign that to the new company. It was, it was just a it was highway robbery. Right. Yeah. So uh, that's another thing, you know, just make sure all your agreements and everything else are, are assignable. Uh, so make no commitments that, that, that you can't, can't get out of or, or can't assign to a new buyer. Right. <clears throat> okay. Awesome. Um, so out of those, what do you think is the, the, one of the most, out of those ones you just kind of listed, what's the one thing that would be the most important if you're, when you're thinking about exit planning, like what's the one thing you would say, you have to do this? Um, it, it, that that's hard to say, uh, one thing, but, but I, I, I think you need to understand, we didn't talk about this, but I think you need to understand your financial model and you, you it, different buyers will see your company differently. Sometimes the, uh, in Silicon Valley here, they have some mergers and acquisitions are called aqua hires. They, 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 all, all they want to do is acquire a company to get talent and, and maybe hire engineers or something. They, they don't even really care about your product. There, there, there may be um, a situation where, uh, you know, the most typical one is, is your cash flow. But oftentimes some startups have no cash flow, but they have very high value. Uh, so it, it, I, I don't think there's a universal answer to that. I think okay. it's more a matter of being aware of who you might sell this to. And it, it doesn't hurt to imagine the per, who the perfect buyer would be and, and name names, right? Yeah. Uh, I know of one legend where somebody knew who they wanted to sell the business to, and they did a little bit of research to understand what uh, business uh, computer system they were using. And they adopted the same one. So when it came time to sell the business, there was no post-close integration yeah. expenses. Yeah. So, so beforehand, knowing maybe a year or two or three ahead of time, who maybe your top three targets are that you're going to sell your business to, 
and design your business to almost be the perfect acquisition target for them. Right. Well, and, and so let, let's, let, uh, you know, maybe you need a successor. If, if, you're, if your perfect acquirer is going to run, keep you and run you as an independent business and you want to step out, they're going to do their diligence and say, wait a minute, if you are leaving, who is going to run this business? And, and so you may need to develop a second in command that can stay while you're there. Yeah. Um, the other thing is small business, small business people sometimes uh, run the whole, I'll say run the whole show. They, 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 they don't learn to delegate. And, and so when, once they're removed, what happens is they end up building a team that likes to take orders. And when they exit, then nobody's there to give them orders. It's better to build a team that can, can work on their own, right? So you, you can go on vacation for three weeks and the business still runs. <laughs> that, yeah. that makes them a better, more attractive acquisition candidate. Absolutely. And, and I, so I used to do, I still do a bit, but, but exit planning for folks and used to be a certified exit planning advisor. And that was one of the biggest thing they call it the hub and spoke model. And, and how much does that business run with you and without you? And the more it runs without you, you're exactly right. The more valuable that business is the more it's like an investment. Yeah. It seems kind of, it's somewhat counterintuitive, right? Yeah. You know, that, you, 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 you want to feel important, right? To, and, but, but uh, to a buyer, right? They're 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 not looking back; they're looking forward, and and so yeah. that that's an important point. Yeah, absolutely, cool. Well, and I know you know we we had also talked about, so I think we hit that uh, you know that beat that one to a dead horse. I'd love to talk about acquisitions because that's something that you know that's that's my game now. And um, you had said one of the biggest failures you learned from as a CEO is doing acquisitions without a post-close uh, integration plan. Yeah, I was in involved in, uh, this was during the dot-com era with a company that acquired 45 facilities in 18 months. And wow. that, was, that was a complete disaster. The, the, the corporation raised hundreds of millions of dollars, did lots of acquisitions, but we ended up with 45 facilities and 42 business systems. I mean, the post-close acquisition task was huge. And, they, and I'd have to say that they didn't do financial modeling. They, they didn't have a post-close plan. And, it, and as, and, and I remember complaining to the, I was a, a, a division president. I, I remember complaining to the CEO that, that, you know, you're acquiring too much, too fast. And, yeah. uh, and his retort was, well, as long as I can keep raising money, I'm going to keep buying. And you guys in operations that just better keep up. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I That's was a lot. That's a lot I of pressure. I was in an airplane five days a week. What, what the heck was I supposed to do? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, but it was. I like to say there's two ways to win in an acquisition. One is if if, if you can imagine sales growth, like maybe you can sell their products in your channels of dis distribution or your products in their channels of distribution. There's a if there's a sales marketing upside, that's a good good plan. 
but also if you can consolidate expenses and, and eliminate duplications and, and get make the product make the acquisition successful through cost reduction, uh, that's a that's another approach. The best acquisitions do both. You have two ways to win. So the best ones have a consolidation of expenses and sales and marketing uh, synergies. Synergy, yes. That that. So there's two ways to win that way. Got it. Most, you it. know, most acquisitions fail, right? And either, man, for lack of diligence, or um, I, I've seen uh, fraud and misrepresentation. Um, you never know. Yeah. Gotcha. How how about so what? You know, being in the game, uh, the the two reasons I see for smaller companies that fail, maybe twenty million and under, is they didn't do a good job of evaluating the true cost of the company, the true price, so they overbid. You know, paying too much for it, and then the other is like you said, a lack of due diligence. Uh, but what but what I've heard is is when you get well, not what I've heard, but typically in the larger companies, it seems like it's you know you have an, enough professionals there that that's not an issue instead it's an issue of lack of culture integration and and other types of integrations have you seen that as well yeah uh, yes i i sort of admired uh it's been a while since i've connected with them but uh, i i admired uh, cisco's approach and when when they acquired a business they they went in and they did everything the cisco way it didn't matter Maybe there was a practice in the business that was different, or you could argue was better. They they, they didn't. They, they immediately put in the Cisco way, so that they, as they acquired, they had one way of doing business, and I, I thought that was very intelligent on their part. Wow. Yeah. So it's kind of like they, they systematize it almost doing acquisitions. Yes. yes, and and they knew, but they also knew. Uh, well, there was more to the story. There, there, uh, they would finance uh, entrepreneurs to create businesses, and then, and once they had uh, an MVP, a good, uh, you know, a, a little bit of traction, they yeah. would acquire that company back, mm. right? And they knew that that once they brought it into their their network. Yeah, they had typically they averaged a six times increase in revenue. Wow! So they so they they funded the startup and then and then brought it back to themselves. Yeah, smart, smart investing in their own future in a way. <laughs> investing, right. But well, and letting you know entrepreneurs get lost in the bureaucracy in it. But so this was a way of of putting creativity off to the side, right, and letting it flower, <laughs> and then bringing it back. Gotcha. Wow. Awesome. The, all, all great stuff, Bob. All great stuff. Um, listen, let me ask a question. If you were going to hire a CEO to take the reins for your company, what's what's the one book that you'd require he or she read before taking over for you? Well, well I, I wrote a book. They might want to know what how I think. Right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah that might be important. Yeah, but uh, uh, but I'm not here to to uh, to 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 publicize that, you know, to, to push that, that i think that's that's more personal but i like the strategizer things i, I oh, okay uh, but what is the, the name of your book just in case anybody wants to uh, read finding it is revenue how how founders owners and ceos give direction to their marketing and sales 
Okay, and cool. I, I wrote it because CEO, you know, when you get promoted to CEO, suddenly you're, you're in charge of everything, right? But that doesn't mean you have a background in everything. You, 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 maybe you came up through the ranks in sales or engineering, but now all of a sudden you have to manage uh, marketing and human resources and physical distribution and IT function. You, so you, you, have, you, you have one, probably one thing you understand very, very well and a whole bunch of other things you don't know at all. Mm. And what I noticed in my coaching practice was there were a lot of engineers, it, 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 people really wrestled with marketing and sales. And, and, and so I wrote the book, not, not to try to turn CEOs into um, um, marketing or sales vice presidents, right? Yeah. Not, not, but but uh, more like what, what questions should you ask? How should you, you know? It, just some simple overviews of how, how things are done, right? And well, they still, I mean, you're still, ultimately, you're still responsible for the growth of the company. And, uh, you know, you, maybe you're not doing the sales and marketing yourself, but you have to be educated enough to know what you want to invest in. Well, who to hire. And who to hire, sure. <laughs> how do you hire, right? Who, who, and yeah, I, I remember talking to one fellow, he said, well, I hired this this person that didn't work out and I hired this other person and that didn't work out. And then I hired a third one and that didn't work out. So I said, well, what are you doing now? Oh, the, the, we gave up and the rest of us, we, we, we all take a little bit of turn doing this. He had no, he had no program at all. <laughs> and it was frustrated because he kept hiring the wrong people. Right. Yeah. And it is tough too. So your book, in your book, you address that, uh, how to hire and find the right yeah, people. Yeah, how to hire and how, and I also think, um, and, and maybe this is a personal perspective, but um, I, I asked the question at the beginning, it, it, is it a person or a process? And, and my answer is that marketing and sales is a process. Mm, and, interesting. and you, you, you know, this whole thing of, hiring somebody and then finding out that they don't work out and, and hiring another person, you, you, you keep blaming the person. Well, what the heck? It's be, because you didn't understand the process that had to happen. To find the right person. To find the right person, to, to know what a marketing lead is. What's the role of marketing? What's the role of sales? Uh, it, uh, lots of people expect their, their high paid salespeople to do marketing. <laughs> mm, yeah yeah well and the other thing too is is it's it sounds like you're kind of going into this as well but they don't define what they need uh beforehand very very descriptively and and so they just hire someone that has a sales background or a marketing background and they they rely on them to create the position and what and, and that never happens they just kind right. of run blindfolded well the the uh, uh... There was another, I re referenced this book in, in my book was, it's called The Challenger Sale. And the Challenger Oh, that's an amazing book. Have you read that? Oh, of course I've read The Challenger Sale. Absolutely. Well, uh, uh, ch challengers, you know, what are two or three times more effective than any other kind. And you, a, a challenger salespeople helps their customers. Mo yeah. mo most uninitiated CEOs, they think, they think that, um, uh, the best kind of salesperson is the one that's uh, extroverted and, and friendly and make and makes good at making relationships. 
and and it turns out that's the least performing profile yeah totally wow Awesome, Bob. Well, let me take a few minutes and, and uh, summarize some of my key takeaways uh, from today. One is uh, you, you've got this, there's this strategizer tools, probably not a lot of CEOs and business owners know about it, but there's also a book strategizer where he talks about uh, uh, his process. And then he had a follow-up book called Important Value Proposition. And what's the gentleman's name again? That Alex that? Osterwalder. Osterwalder. Great. Okay. So, you know, somebody who loves to you read. You can find uh, it on Amazon. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. He's written some other books since, cool. since then, but the first two I I found the most important. They were written, I think, 2011 and 2014, maybe. It's in that era. Gotcha. Yeah. And then we kind of talked about exit planning from day one. And, and for me, the two biggest takeaways there is, number one, d define who you want to sell your business to and design your business a year, two, three, whatever that is, to, to make yourself to be the perfect acquisition target for them. You'll get more value and be able to sell. And then the other one I thought was great was, Build a team that can run the business without you. That truly increases your value and it makes your life a lot easier along the way, right? Yes. Uh, um, and then the other uh, acquisitions, the two big takeaways there was, you know, that really where you win in acquisitions is going for two wins. Number one is where you can consolidate expenses, get your overhead down by consolidation. And number two is getting sales and marketing synergies uh, and kind of getting that hockey stick growth in, in perhaps both companies. The other thing we kind of talked about was, uh, you know, most companies will fail for a number of reasons, lack, uh, lack of due diligence being one. And then another is just, just really not getting that post integration, right? Um, so, Bob, let me ask you, if there was one takeaway that you'd really want the audience to absorb from our time together today, what would that be? Um, uh, uh, let's say it's courage, right? Courage. When, when you're CEO, you, you have to act and, it, and, and you don't, won't, won't always have perfect information. Um, but, but when something isn't working right, uh, pivot right then, right now. Uh, keep keep moving, and it, 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 uh, I used to say that I could go to work in the morning, and there was always one thing that happened that I had no idea was going to happen. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Got to have that morning surprise. <laughs> There's always a surprise. Gotcha. But, but awesome. But it's the 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 courage to act and the courage to change. Yeah, love it. Awesome. Well, hey, Bob, if any of our listeners want to reach out and get a hold of you for any follow-up questions, uh, what's the best way for them to do that? Oh, well, go to augustburris.com and ask for information or whatever. There's contact forms on there. It's August like the month, Burris, B-E-R-R-E-S. And they, they, can, uh, they can reach me through that. Uh, also, my LinkedIn profile, I I, uh, I published my phone number and my, and my email. Okay. And we'll have it. We'll have a link to your LinkedIn profile on the podcast page. Yeah. Why, why, why be in a social, uh, a social network if you're not going to be social? <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Awesome. All right, Bob, thanks again for being on the show. This was a fantastic episode. Yeah. Thank Great. you, Patrick. Yeah, you bet. And for the listeners out there, please hit the like and subscribe button and help us spread the word about what we're doing here. We're helping the next generation of leaders and CEOs be that much more successful. With that, this is your host, Patrick Rogers, and we'll see you in the next episode. Thanks a lot. 
Thank you for listening to another episode of the High Performance CEO Podcast with your host, Patrick Rogers. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. In the meantime, check out our main website at patrickvrogers.com for much more valuable information and free resources.